Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing I would love to spend some time pouring over God's Word. Those of you who who know the routine here, I've been going through the book of John since uh, the beginning of February. Last year we did the book of James that ended uh, in, in January of this year. So I... I started to realize when I, when I began to count the number of weeks that I'm not going to get anywhere near the end of the book of John by the time we go on sabbatical. So I started just cherry-picking the parts that I like, which is great. Um, I like it all, don't get me wrong. However, there are some parts that the Lord is really using to, to minister not only to my heart, but I believe... It's related to the direction and just the call of this fellowship as a, and not just this fellowship unique to who we are, but to the body of Christ in general. And so I'm going to read out of John 13 and out of John 15. And so for those of you who want to follow along in your Bibles, you can definitely go to John 13, verse 33. And I just decided to go ahead and start with 33 since I can relate to this. So Jesus says this, My dear friends, I only have a brief time left to be with you. (laughs) Um, Hopefully my fate is not the same as Jesus's. (laughs) But I do know that that's happening um, on a consistent basis as we take up the cross daily. But then you will search and long for me, but I tell you, just as I told the Jewish leaders, you're not going to be able to come to where I am. And so this is really the heart of it, verse 34. So, therefore, I mean, Jesus saying, hey, I'm leaving, and therefore I want to tell you this. I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you, for when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. And again, Jesus in John 15. So let's go to John 15, verse 9. So we've got John 13, and now we're going to John 15, verse 9. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And if you could please hear this for yourself, Jesus says this. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. I mean, we could actually park it there and auger down into that statement alone, how much does the Father love Jesus? Jesus loves each of you with the same love that the Father loves Jesus. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, for I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience 
will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Now, this is where I'd like to just let the scripture and Jesus' teaching be the springboard and some ideas that I have for us. I believe that we can all agree that there are different types of love, different degrees. I don't know. I mean, it's just like, it's kind of like on this spectrum, right? Where, which love is Jesus speaking about here in his final teachings? And I think we can have some assumptions about that love. And I, and I think it's pretty clear just even in the scripture about Jesus talking about sacrificial love. I would love for 1 John three sixteen and 18 to help us kind of lift our imaginations even more to what it means to walk in divine love. And this is how we discovered God's reality, love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. This, again, is 1 John three sixteen. Because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity or closes his heart against that person, then how is it even possible for God's love to live in him? Beloved children, our love can't be abstract theory that we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through loving deeds. All right, so we begin then to answer that question, what type of love, what degree of love are we talking about here? We're talking about a love that's God hands and feet. We're talking about a love that is active. We're talking about a love that extends towards people in need. And so the phrase Jesus sacrificed for us, it can literally be translated. This is an interesting phrase, and I understand why they interpreted it the way they did. When it says Jesus sacrificed his love for us, it can literally be translated, Jesus placed his soul over us. Which in our language, we don't, we, I mean, I guess we get it. I mean, but it's, it's really a deep idea then that Jesus would allow himself to cover us. That Jesus placed his soul over us. And as the passage continues, we're encouraged in turn to place our souls over another. And this reminds me of Peter's words in 1 Peter 4.8. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. I'd like to read an excerpt from David White's poem. It's a poem entitled Friendship. And I think when we talk about friendship and we talk about the friendship of Jesus, I think it's helpful for us as we're thinking about loving others to go ahead and use language that we're familiar with in terms of friendship. I think what that can do is kind of demystify this divine love. It really can come down to being a friend. Just as Christ was known as the friend of sinners, right? Just, just as Christ was willing to lay his soul over us through the sacrifice of his own life, that was a way that he extended not only his love to us, but also his friendship for us. And so David White writes it this way, to remain friends, we must know the other 
and their difficulties, even their sins, and encourage the best in them, not through critique, but through addressing the better part of them and the leading edge of their incarnation. So think about that. So we want to encourage the best in each other. This is how we can be friends for each other, not through critique, but through addressing the better part of them, the leading creative edge of their incarnation, thus subtly discouraging what makes them smaller, less generous, less of themselves. Through the eyes of a real friend, an individual is larger than their everyday actions. And through the eyes of another, we receive a greater sense of our own personhood, one that we can aspire to, the one in whom they have the most faith. Friendship is a moving frontier of understanding, not only of the self and the other, but also a possible and yet unlived future. So a dear friend who lays their soul over another, who's willing to cover over a multitude of sins is the dear friend who is willing to speak to the aspects of who you really are, to bring the truth about who you really are into the light. And it's not like they're turning a blind eye, just like Jesus does not turn a blind eye to our dysfunctional behavior, right? I mean, he loves us so much, he's going to put his finger on that for us. But trust me, in his doing that, he is not bringing condemnation or even critique in a way that diminishes us to the point of discouragement. He is doing that so that we can actually aspire to being who God has created us to be. And like Mel said and read, ignite the passions that are within us, that yet unlived future. Melanie, at age of 47, you had an unlived future in art. And it took some dynamic of God's friendship and maybe even through another person and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help awaken you to the thing that was dormant inside of you, right? And there was no criticism of you being the not artist. There was only an encouragement for you to become the artist that God had always intended for you to be. And so that's the type of friendship that we're relating to. That's the type of divine love that enables us to be this kind of friend for another in very practical ways. Meeting people in their needs in a way that still encourages and strengthens them and has no diminishment in it. And so I'd like to point out that while verse 17 encourages us, remember we were, um, where were we? We were in 1 John 3. 3, 16 through 18. and verse 17 here, it, it challenges us that if we see a fellow believer in need and turn away, how can the love of God be in us? Okay, but I want to actually kind of point out the word fellow believer here. I actually want to highlight that. When I was going through this, the Holy Spirit kind of brought that up and highlighted that for me. And it was a, a really interesting experience that I was having as I was meditating on the scripture here. It's often translated, and maybe in your Bible, it says a, a brother in the faith, um, a, a fellow believer. If you see a fellow believer in need, or if you see a brother in need, uh, I just want to point out that the Greek word here is adelphos, okay? And adelphos is actually a combination of the prefix a, which is alpha, and delphos, and so Adelphus is the word that's used here for fellow believer or brother. Now, you ready for a little bit of a Greek lesson? 
I'm not a Greek scholar, but I will point this out because it's pretty interesting. The preface alpha is, a, is what's known as a negative participle. You should be impressed that I know that. <laughs> um, and it's used to express the antithesis of a primary idea. For example, there's no single word in the New Testament writings for unforgiveness or unrighteousness. Alpha as a prefix to the word forgiveness or alpha in front of the word righteousness is a connecting participle that gives us their antithesis, which means unforgiveness or unrighteousness. You get it? All right. So the Greek word adelphus is alpha in front of the word delphus. And delphus is the word for womb. Womb. Adelphus is a brotherhood or a bond not originating from biological birth. All right. I can see where you could take that then, and you could say that if you see a brother in the Lord, if you see a fellow believer in the Lord, because that's a brotherhood, that's a family origin that does not originate from a biological birth, but from being spirit-born, right? And so I see that, and then I have to ask the question, does this mean that we only extend our love and willingness towards those within our religious belief structures? Did Jesus place his soul, lay down his life, only for those who believed? No, I mean, I'm hearing it in the room, and I have scripture to back it, because I agree. And that's Romans 5.8. It helps us out with this, that God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners or without faith, Christ died for us, laid his soul over us. 2 Corinthians 5.19, in Christ, God reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses, their unbelief, against them. I have to allow Jesus to inform how and who I love. We let Jesus inform us, not the world, not our families of origin. We let Jesus inform how and who we will love. And I believe the encouragement to love others extends beyond both our biological family and even our church family. And I can point to the story of the Good Samaritan to just back that up a bit. I think that the way Jesus wants to communicate his love to the world is through the church, through your life. And I believe that if we are not careful, we can become insulary in that, and we will miss out on the privilege and the joy of extending the love of Christ to people in need, even if they don't believe the way we believe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer he wrote this. He said, A spiritual community occurs when the Spirit of Christ stands between you and the others. And so all other attempts at community, all other attempts at forming this bond of union, whether it's for the people that are within your church, extended out to other believers within this community at large, and even extending out to those who do not yet know Jesus, I would say that any attempts at community that does not rely on the spirit standing between you and that other person is subpar. It's not a, it's not a community that's going to stand the test of time because everything will be shaken and the only thing that's going to stand is that of the kingdom. 
And this type of kingdom spiritual community is born of the Spirit. And so I want to just take a minute. Yep, I got time. I want to do this. I want to talk to you about this idea that I have shared here before. Because it helps us when we think about the ideas of forming community within this fellowship. When we think about loving one another. When we think about loving the world around us. When we think about Jesus and the Spirit of Christ being the unifying force, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer shared, that spiritual community occurs when the Spirit of Christ stands between me and you. And that everything that I experience of you is filtered through the atoning work of Jesus, and I get to receive it. Everything from me gets to be processed through the atoning work of Jesus and life in the Spirit, and you get to experience that. I think that that type of spiritual community is something that we can aspire to, and it's something that is given to us as the church. How many of you know how many denominations, Christian denominations, are in the world? Throw out a number. 45,000. 45,000. That's a, a pretty high estimate. I would say that others would agree somewhere more in line of 30,000. All right, so 30, 45,000. It's a lot of thousands. It's a lot of different denominations within the framework of Christianity. Every single one of those denominations has a distinction that they adhere to a particular dogma that they align with, a particular way, a liturgy, a whatever, whatever, whatever. And I could say that not all of those are um, a misrepresentation. Let's just say that just like a diamond has multiple facets cut out of it in order to display the brilliance of the diamond, let's just benefit of the doubt, say that all of those different facets of the Christian church are intended to... Man, this is so wishful thinking, right? It's like, wow, how did all those denominations come? It's usually through division, not unity. Now, I would say that some have actually been inspired and they have branched into a realm of expression of Christianity. I would tell you this, that, um, that the non-denominational Christian church has become the largest denomination <laughs> at many levels. <laughs> so maybe there's 45,001. If you count that one. All right, so here's the deal. Just working through this a little bit, when we think about unity, when we think about being together as the body of Christ on planet Earth, we have to be aware that there are some things that inhibit us from being a full expression of the divine love that Jesus is referring to here. And one of those things in the social studies realm, it's called a set, S. E-T. And set is a technical term that talks about a way or a culture or an ethos. And so there are different types of sets within groups as they form together. And when you think about a bounded set, again, I know I've shared this with some of you. You may already know this. But a bounded set would be like four walls and you're in or you're out. And the four walls within the Christian church, and it doesn't, 
it does not lim- it's not limited to just the Christian church. I mean, this can happen in other religious uh, faiths. This can happen in politics. This can happen uh, in the workplace. This can happen all over the place. That there are bounded sets, and you're either in or you're out. You're either us or you're them. And in the Christian church, typically the top tier of what, um, what constitutes your witness to that group is you believe what they believe. And then the other side of it is you practice the way that they practice their beliefs. You put those beliefs into practice in a certain way, and you align with that. And then there's also this tier that if you behave, if you have a morality that aligns with their morality, like, for example, some bounded sets are very conservative in their morality, but they might be very liberal in their beliefs. And it's just a mashup. I mean, there's 45,000 variations of this. And then on the other side over here, you have shared mission, where those who are in are going to be oriented towards a particular outcome, a particular vision, a particular mission that aligns everybody towards a purpose that they can all put their hands to. Now, in the realm of psychology and sociology, this all makes sense why people are attracted to this. But I have to warn you that if your Christianity has only been in the, con- in the construct of a bounded set, then you might want to take inventory. Because typically the thing that motivates you in the bounded set is what we would call compliance. You either comply with the beliefs, you comply with the practices, you comply with the behavior, and you comply with the mission. And a lot of what motivates compliance is actually fear. Namely, the fear of rejection. Because if you're not in, then you're out. Yeah? And so a bounded set in the Christian realm can actually limit or inhibit the type of divine love that Jesus is orienting towards and orienting us towards. Because just like the story of the Good Samaritan and so forth, there was an in-group and there was an out-group. And it was interesting to me that the person who cared for the individual in need was in the out-group. And those who were in the bounded set of their religious structure of the day actually gave a wide berth to that man because they didn't want to be unclean. Now, there's got to be another way then. What is the other way? Well, in this dynamic um, sort of orientation towards the set, you have to know that what Jesus came to establish was not a better bounded set, but actually a center set. And we draw from even the story of Zacchaeus, who who in his day was out. He was not in the bounded set. He was rejected from his family of origin, his faith leadership, his community, because he was a tax collector, and he was known to have stolen money from people. So his morality, his belief systems, everything about him it was justified that they hit the eject button on this guy and he got launched out into this realm of the others, whatever that means. But he was willing, because of his orientation towards the person of Jesus, he was willing to climb a tree so that he could have visual, like he could look at Jesus, like his orientation was towards Jesus. 
And Jesus recognized that. He not only recognized the fact that this short guy climbed a tree, he recognized something in his heart. Zacchaeus was center set on the person of Jesus. And as a result, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And I'm going to let my presence and my love, just like the friendship that we read about in David White's poem, call you up into who you really are. I'm not going to criticize you like the guardians of your bounded set. I'm not going to condemn you like the, the guardians of your bounded set. I'm going to allow my love to transform you. There is no version of the Bible that I've ever read about the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus instructs Zacchaeus what to do to get his life right, what to do to clean up his act. Everything is a response to the love of Jesus. And so to be center set, it allows people who are outside of the bounded set of one of those 45,000 different denominations of the Christian church, if they have any orientation towards Jesus and if they're moving towards Jesus, Guess what? They're in. That's good news for some of you. Because some of you don't fit in any bounded set. You've been rebelling against that and you thought you were being rebellious, but actually it's in your instincts that there's more. There's got to be more than this. So I just want to orient us towards that because I actually believe that God is helping us repent of religion and repent of the bounded set. Because if if compliance is at the heart of the bounded set, and if fear motivates compliance, then you have to know that when you're center set, you enter into not compliance, but submission. And what motivates submission is love. That'll preach. Thanks. I want to allow the essence of Ephesians 4 to help us get our heads and our hearts around this idea a little bit more. These aren't just big ideas. These are actually rooted in the scripture. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is why Paul employs us, implores, implores us to walk in verse 2 here of Ephesians 4, verse 2. It says this, I want you to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let that phrase kind of land on you a minute. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying, a real spiritual community is one where the Holy Spirit stands between you and brings a bond of peace between you. It goes on to say, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have also been called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The depth of our love is rooted in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if we indeed are spirit-born, then our, air quotes, brotherhood, is found in the bond of peace given to us by Christ. And I put that in air quotes because remembering the, the Greek word for that, um, this, is a, this is a bond that happens and a relational connection that happens through life in the Spirit as we have this one Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
So again, knowing that our identity is set in God the Father, you are a son, you are a daughter, I'm a brother, you are my sister, you are my brother, that, that helps us rise above the fray of all the divisive things that we can find in all those different bounded sets. And it empowers our love for one another. And it gives us a capacity to love even those who do not believe the way that we believe or do not practice our faith the way that we practice our faith or may not even have a moral compass the way that we have a moral compass, may not even align with anything that you're pouring your life energies into in the way of mission and purpose and assignment. And we can love people because we are center set and he is the source of our love. So again, being Christocentric, center set, Christocentric, allows the presence of God's love within you to be your source of love and your motivation for love. And it inspires your capacity to love. And I guess we can actually call that compassion, right? Which means to be moved in the inward parts. That's what compassion means. And so compassion draws us deeper into this unconditional love, this sacrificial love, responding to the Spirit for the sake of building someone else up, for the sake of helping someone and encouraging someone else. I just want to poke a stick at something that I think is pretty common within the Western church, and that is where consumerism has filtered into our experience and our expression of Christianity to the point where consumerism draws us into a more, I guess the word could be epicureal. It's like, yeah, I like these big words today. It's like this idea that the senses... What my relationship with another person does for me. How being in relationship with someone helps meet my needs primarily. Consumerism has a way of drawing us deeper into that type of, quote, I'll put air quotes in this, love. And it appeals to our senses for the sake of a self-centered. And there's nothing wrong with getting your needs met from another person. But if that's your primary motive being in a relationship, then can we just go ahead and say your love has hooks in it? You extend out for the hope of some payoff in return? And the type of love that Jesus is referring to here is an unconditional love, love with no hooks. We can call that agape love, and we should, because there's a, a stark difference between agape love and any other form of love that has a hook in it. And so let's go ahead and acknowledge that the quality of maturing agape love, that being quality time together, depth of compassion, valuing the person, dignifying others, even people who are different than you, to the point of offering your resources of time, energy, and even money, that this is all cultivated in the midst of quality time together. Can we go ahead and be okay with that? that it's almost like the quality of your love is found accidentally in the midst of quantity time? Like if you schedule quality time with your spouse, yeah, let me know how that goes for you. Honestly, I think the best quality time that you can have with someone is just happen, it just happens. It's just like it's born out of the willingness and the capacity to just be with people. 
time with people in a safe place, in a safe way where we can be ourselves, where we can be seen and we can see others in authenticity. I heard this phrase. I can't remember who said this, but I think it was, was it Papa who said this? Something about being in the type of relationship within the Christian context where we could allow others to see our scars. That was one of the first things Jesus did when he showed up in the upper room after his resurrection was he was willing to show his scars. So I think that that type of um, quality and depth and maturing love is something that we can say yes to, that we can ask Jesus for more of. And so I think any other forms of community land even subtly into that category of a bounded set, and it's subject to an upgrade in our lives. I think the Lord wants to mature us. He wants to help us express spiritual community. He wants us to connect with this idea that we can experience each other with the help of the Holy Spirit between us. You're going to live a more inspired life that way. All right. I just think I want to pause there. Uh, This teaching, I, I feel like it was important for me to communicate this with you out of John and then extending into the different verses within the Gospels and also within the the writings of Paul and and so forth. Because I think that one of the things that I am praying for you, you need to know that while many of you are praying for Tiffany and I as we go on sabbatical, we're praying for you as we go on sabbatical. And one of the things that we're praying for is that this type of spiritual community can grow and get deeper and become a more natural expression of your life personally. I think when I start talking about friendship, um, I inevitably, it's, it's almost without exception, when I talk about friendship with people, I experience their longing for more. So let's be okay with that being a real thing. And let's be okay with knowing that God has created a way for us to get that longing met through him and through others. And part of that is an initiation on our part to extend ourselves out, to let our souls cover over people in a way that helps build them up and that dynamic of, you know, be the friend that you long for, I think um, reaps great rewards for us. Great. Can you stand with me then, friends? I want to pray for us. I just want to encourage you to just put your hands out like it's Christmas. Jesus, we've poured over your teachings and we've landed on this idea that your spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the living God is the unifying force that bonds us together in peace. We've landed on the idea that our identity is set in you, God, and you have given to us your spirit, that spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Papa God, Abba, Father. We've acknowledged, Lord, that your spirit moves between us, and we've acknowledged that your spirit empowers us to love beyond ourselves. 
We've also acknowledged that as short-sighted, weak, and broken people, sometimes we have settled for less than what you have for us. And we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom comes with good news, that we can turn and move towards you and towards the vibrancy of your life that you're offering to us. And I guess we can call that repentance. And we could thank you for it. What an amazing invitation to leave the lesser for the more. And so, Lord, we just want to ask even now, as our hearts are yielded to you, would you come and would you touch any area of our life that has been convinced of less than, that has agreed with any false belief about ourselves, about what it means to be in community, about maybe how unsafe that can be for our hearts? And Lord, can we trust that as you're ministering your love and your kindness to us, that you're restoring our hearts and you're giving us new courage to maybe step out towards others in ways that we've been reluctant to because of pain. Maybe you're encouraging our hearts by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to become more aware of the needs around us, to be willing to extend ourselves towards others in a way that helps them and builds them up. Lord, we thank you that even in our needs and our great longings, we can extend ourselves out towards others and be filled. That in your kingdom, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Lord, we thank you that your blessings are extended not only to us, but through us, and that when we pour out into the lives of others, there is a receptivity that we get to enjoy as a byproduct. Now, Jesus, would you pour your spirit into each one of us fresh and new right now? Come, Lord, in ways that our hearts crave. Come and meet the longings of our, our need. And just thank you covering us. Jesus, thank you for lifting our chin and giving us a vision for love and connection and community and pouring out into the world around us in fresh ways today. Thank you that for some of us, this was a reminder. For others of us, it's new. And I ask, Lord, that your grace would land on all the aspects of what you're saying to us in this and that your word would be like seeds that are planted in the good soil of our heart that take deep root in the soil of your love and bear fruit in the years to come. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, 
visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.